this is the first time that I've ever done research for an interview. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what do I have to do? And my tour manager, Janine, said, well, you have to watch Spinal Tap. And I was like, I think I found the right job for me because this is my homework. That's pretty awesome. your speakers up to 11 because it's time for Too Much Effing Perspective, the podcast that asks musicians and entertainers to relive their most Spinal Tap moments when nothing seems to go right and everything gets kind of weird. I'm your host, Alan Keller, a comedy writer in LA and lead singer of the least heralded Chicago band, The Falling Walendas. And I'm your co-host, Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead and lead singer of the least heralded Milwaukee band, The Vainglorious. Our guest today is Dave Perner from the multi-platinum Minneapolis band, Soul Asylum. Dave tells us about the time he was able to stay out of a fight between three of his bandmates' girlfriends, why his first taste of the big time was going on tour with Husker Du, and how Keith Richards lets you know when it's time to get out of his hotel room. So without further ado, let's go to the T-M-E-P Show! It really puts perspective on things, doesn't it? Not too much. There's too much perspective now. Alex, this show is about the spinal tap moments you and I and our guests have experienced in the past. It rarely is the actual fulcrum for new spinal tap moments. That's because our producer, Gretchen Kilby, runs a very tight ship. She's a veritable Captain Ahab. Well, it's less a ship than a badly painted dinghy, but true, (laughs) Gretchen Ahab does keep us out of trouble. But no amount of planning or precautions could have averted my Spinal Tap moment with Soul Asylum's Dave Perner. And like all good Spinal Tap moments, it may not have been that funny at the time, but it sure is funny in retrospect. It may be funny to you because it didn't happen to you, but I'm still (laughs) smarting at how awkward it got. Okay, Alan, let's remove the mystery. Why don't you tell everybody what you're talking about? Well, I have to because I edited it out, but, um, you know, (laughs) let's start from what it's about. In 2004, there was a German movie starring Bruno Ganz called Downfall, and it's about Hitler's final days, and there's a critical scene in the bunker where Hitler realizes his generals have been lying to him about the state of the war, and he has a big Hitler-style hissy fit about it. Right. Anyway, it's become kind of a meme where people add fake subtitles that parody the situation. For example... Recently, there was one where Hitler was ranting about Trump being indicted in New York City, of course. Then there was one where Hitler was furious when Musk bought Twitter. And when Kanye West interrupted Taylor Swift at the VMAs, Hitler blew a gasket. I mean, even Hitler knew Kanye was being a dick. Well, that was worthy of a hissy fit. Yes, there was. He was spot on for that one. So you get the idea, right? It's an old movie about Hitler in the bunker, but we've got new subtitles about current events. Okay. And they're usually really funny, and it's a badge of honor if it's about you. When researching this episode, I found that someone had done one for Soul Asylum, and in it, Hitler is the band's biggest fan, and he's irate because no one had told him that Soul Asylum was coming to town, and now the tickets were sold out. (laughs) It's really very well done. It's really funny. And I assumed that Dave knew about it because, as I said, it's really cool if someone mentions you in one of these. So 
I brought it up to Dave and I posed it this way. I said, hey, Dave, I'm kind of surprised <laughs> to find out that one of your biggest fans was Adolf Hitler. <laughs> he had no idea what you were talking about. <laughs> Worse, when I offered to send him a link to the clip, he had zero interest. I mean, less than zero. He seemed confused, bordering on annoying. <laughs> he wasn't pleased. Well, he was looking for someone to shove, wouldn't you think? Yeah, he was definitely looking at you at that point, yes. Oh, for sure. I even had to spout my Jewish bona fides before he hung up on us. And to be honest, if I ever do that again, Gretchen, please make sure I'm wearing a yarmulke because I have to make sure that people know I have the proper effing perspective. Yeah, I'll write that down so you don't forget. I, I got you on that one, buddy. Toda arba, which is Hebrew <laughs> for thank you. Anyway, listeners, can you do us a favor? If you listen to this show on Apple Podcasts, please press pause and on the app, give us a rating and write a review. Then hit play. We'll love you for it. Now, let's get on to our conversation with Dave Perner. But first, a short break. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. It is a rock and roll city for sure. Get down! The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. And now our talk with a rock star who won a Grammy for the song Runaway Train, Soul Asylum's Dave Perner. Dave, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, yeah. Let's cut right to the chase. Got any good Spinal Tap moments that would go down in Soul Asylum history? Well, I mean, the first time we got a tour bus, our tour manager put Spinal Tap on in the back lounge. It was very appropriate as far as just kind of spending the last 12 years in a van and then like, okay, now you're in check because there's potential for a lot of ridiculous things to happen here as they did. And as they should, yes, I still get lost backstage. I don't know, like five gigs ago, I couldn't find my way out of the club. <laughs> oh dear. Hopefully it wasn't on fire. You know, relationships with people in the band and people quit and get fired and all that kind of stuff. And you got the long history of managers and tour managers and ah, 
Bobby Fleckman's <laughs> stuff like that. You know, you see a pattern and they nailed it. Dave, you and I have crossed paths over the years, both when I was a college concert promoter and a tour manager. Yes. The first time was at the University of Wisconsin, where we booked Soul Asylum for a big show at the Student Union. And I remember there were several Spinal Tap moments that night that I won't delve into right now. But basically, I was practicing on you guys to build my music business skills. So thanks for that. Sounds about right. (laughs) What memories do you have of working with other promoters who didn't have it fully together? Well, I think there's plenty of times where the relationship between the promoter and the band was not that great. I think it was in Green Bay, actually. And the guy came back to the bus and he said, look, uh, I can't pay you. (laughs) And I thought we had a great gig and I was kind of benign to the whole thing. And I was like, man, I love doing this so much. I do it for free. And someone in the band said, well, you just did. (laughs) I mean, it's a lot of green M&Ms and Spinal Tap type stuff that's become so cliche, it's kind of a blur of mishaps. There's always going to be a piece of lunch meat that's too big for a piece of bread, you know. My band, The Falling Willendos, recorded our second album at Butch Vig's Smart Studios. I remember that band. Oh, cool. And, you know, we recently had Butch on the show, and he told us a Soul Asylum story about your manager who was a quote-unquote vibe crusher. Ah, yes. Got any stories about the vibe crusher? Well, it depends on which vibe crushing you're referring to. (laughs) A vibe crusher can be a person who walks in and the vibe goes out the window. And that's pretty typical, actually. The band goes in and, you know, you're spending a lot of money and you got a good producer and the manager becomes somewhat useless. And when the manager checks in every now and then to make sure everything's (laughs) going good... It's just like, uh, we're busy, you know? (laughs) You're not needed. The band does function without you. (laughs) And then the manager leaves and you're all kind of going, wow, where were we? Things were going pretty good there for a minute. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I mean, it can't be anyone. A girlfriend can walk in and crush the vibe or a record company executive can ruin the whole thing. Hey, I came up to check up on you guys. And you're like, oh. Well, you talked about a girlfriend crushing your vibe. Now, you famously went out with Winona Ryder for a while. Did she ever pull any Janines on the band? What is pulling a Janine? No, it's not like pulling a train or anything. Uh, Janine is David St. Hubbins' girlfriend. You know, the Yoko Ono character. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah, my tour manager's name is Janine. So, Oh, okay, got it. Sorry, Janine, too. You always have that dynamic. We had some gigs in Paris, and, you know, no one wants to go to Iowa or Ohio. People want to go to Paris. So all the girlfriends came, except mine, which was great. And at one point, the three women, who were very different people, were sitting at the bar, and they got into a fight. And the members of the band slowly started slinking out of the situation. So it was just these three women going at it. 
and I was hiding in my room. And one at a time, I'd get a knock on the door, and it'd be Danny's girlfriend. And she'd go, I can't figure out what's going on with these women. I'm freaking out. You got to come down. I'm like, no, thank you. And then the next girlfriend, Sterling's girlfriend, comes up. Oh, gosh, she is such a bitch. And I was so glad that I was not part of it. At one point, we had a girlfriend on the bus, and there was 14 guys on the bus, and they were all scared to death of her. And that dynamic seemed really off to me, but it was kind of hilarious. Just these big, rough roadies, like slinking away from this young French woman who was driving everybody crazy. (laughs) You have to be very careful with the vibe or you are going to be a crusher. And, you know, it's hard to fit in with a bunch of dudes that have their own rapport and their own way of doing things and their own kind of clock and schedule. So I would not want to be a third wheel in a band. You and your longtime bandmate, Dan Murphy, who was Soul Asylum's lead guitarist, parted ways about 10 years ago, right? And we talk a lot about band dynamics here. I was just wondering if there's any similarity between you guys splitting up and the falling out that David and Nigel have toward the end of This Is Spinal Tap. I think so. I think that there's... Spinal Tap is one of those kind of movies where each character sums up a character in a band. When the bass player starts saying, I'm the lukewarm water between (laughs) these two guys... It's just totally believable. Carl (laughs) Mueller was that exact person. Yes, all those things are going to happen. And when I finally did have a falling out with my guitar player, we had a pretty long, good run. But you can't help but compare it to every situation in a band where people come to differs and they go their separate ways. Did you watch Get Back, the documentary? I did. I watched uh, a lot of segments, but I didn't, you know, watch it from beginning to end. Well, it's interesting. Like that band dynamic seems to be almost the archetypal band dynamic. Almost every band has the Paul, the John and the George, right? And maybe even the Ringo. And it plays out over and over again. I identify that relationship at least two bands of mine where everyone fit pretty neatly into those roles. And Spinal Tap, obviously the Janine character is kind of the Yoko character, right? And I can't. Just thinking about it makes me laugh. Because every time Janine's in the shot, it pans to Nigel, who's just, <laughs> he's so fucking bummed out she's there. <laughs> well, I saw this interview with you and Dan from 93, and it was so perfect. You basically said, I write the songs and they better just execute them. And Dan said, he writes the songs and we fix them. And there was like this <laughs> palpable tension there. Oh, you know, yeah. like I knew Jerry Harrison. I remember talking to him about David Byrne, that David Byrne took credit for everything and we kind of fixed everything. And it's just these roles play out over and over again. And mm-hmm. so many bands don't understand them and that's why they fall apart right it's like you've got to identify everyone's role and people have to be happy in them for a band to succeed and to keep going absolutely i mean it's very rare that bands learn to live with each other i suppose because it's very very concentrated you're very close with these people and all your worst personality traits will come out 
and all your best personality traits will come out. But you're very close quarters and you're all sort of suffering together. So the first person that says, I'm suffering more than you is kind of a dick. (laughs) (laughs) I was a tour manager for the Bodines for a number of years. And those two guys, Kurt and Sam, have similarly parted ways and to the best of my knowledge are not speaking to each other right now. And I think a lot of the same things that you just described are at play there as well. I will say that it reminded me in thinking about this conversation, Dave, that back in 96, Soul Asylum and the Bodines were on a build together at an outdoor summer show in Kansas City, speaking of those exotic places that people like to travel. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly what you said, but you did make some comment from the stage about the Bodines. It was kind of a piss take. And had we been a little cooler, we might have done like Oasis and Blur rumble backstage. People kept telling me there was some sort of a beef between the two bands, which I was entirely unaware of. <laughs> and I got the two guys mixed up. So which one is which? <laughs> Sammy is still in the band or Sammy left? Sammy left. Kurt Newman is still in the band. Okay, okay. So I had their names mixed up. And at some point, I said something to one of them thinking that they were the other person, which involved my bass player's wife. But that was it. (laughs) I personally am not a fan of the Bohemians at all. So when I heard that you guys opened up for them, it was like your puppet show if you're opening for the Bohemians. They got a good drummer. John Cougar's guy. Kenny Aronoff. Yeah, yeah. He's great. Yeah. No, he's great. Yeah. I like to retract whatever I just said because it's just not right. You know, I'm like, there was this made-up beef. I've always felt like everybody that plays music is dealing with the same set of circumstances and you should just be supportive of other people that are trying to do what you do because it's going to bite you in the ass. I think in general, musicians are pretty supportive of each other. I mean, I... I'm in comedy now, and every comedian looks at the other one as being a rival and that their success is going to come at my expense, right? But in music, even if I hated a guy, I would go, you know, that dick, he slept with my wife, and he broke my guitar. But did you hear his new album? Because it's fucking great. Here, I got five copies. I'll give you one. And I think our love for music supersedes any personal beef. I like to think so. I'd like to think so. I mean, I think there's people that are just into it for the music, like myself, and then there's people that are into all the other trappings and the nonsense and the competitiveness that it's just appalling to me. But whatever. Talking shit about someone else to boost yourself is like, what are we, fucking third graders? I mean, come on. You come out of one of the storied music communities, the Minneapolis scene, Soul Asylum, Husker Du, The Replacements, the stuff that Twin Tone Records was doing. I know from Wikipedia that you opened for Husker Du on the Flip Your Wig tour. That is correct. And I used to play Flip Your Wig songs on my radio show at University of Wisconsin. Any Spinal Tap moments that you can share with being on the road with Husker Du or anything like that? Oh, Gosh, there's so many. 
I really miss Grant Hart, and I saw Bob recently. You're talking about Who's Traduced drummer Grant Hart, who died in 2017, and guitarist Bob Mould. That band also had a famously acrimonious breakup. Yeah. I said, did you get a chance to talk to Grant? And he said, yes. But Bob was very supportive, and uh, they took us out for a long tour, and that seemed like the big time to me. So there's 12 of us, and they bring two pizzas back, and Bob grabs one, and Grant grabs the other one, and the rest of us were just kind of sitting there going, <laughs> well, that makes sense, actually, you know. I mean, not that they should offer us any of their pizza, but... uh yeah, I remember Grant, there was like a riot going on in the crowd, and Grant said something to the effect of, if you try to come up on this stage one more time, I'm going to stab you, and then I'm going to fuck you, which I thought was kind of an interesting thing to say. Um, but the right order. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, you know, the story that always comes to my mind first was we were playing in probably Green Bay, and this guy put us up, and we were still all sleeping on people's floors. And uh, he was a school teacher, and he had a bunch of couches around his house, and so we all slept on the couches. And this guy tried to get in bed with every single member of Soul Asylum and every single member of Husker Du. <laughs> and so the next morning, did anything weird happen to you last night? And everybody said the same thing. God, dude tried to crawl in bed with me. And the next morning, a kid came over with a goldfish, a very young kid. It, it was creepy, but uh, typical. Wait a second. What was creepy about the goldfish? We don't know. We don't know. But after that evening, you know, a 10-year-old came over with a goldfish and we were all like, let's get out of here because this is just too weird, you know. <laughs> I think the important thing is that the only way you can approach that sort of an existence in a way that you're not crushed by it is to make fun of everything. So there's a tremendous amount of humor in the face of adversity that you kind of have to laugh it all off. And that's when you're kind of doing a full circle with the spinal tap thing. You're just like, how much more ridiculous can this get? And how can I get a laugh out of it? Because otherwise I'm going to cry and quit and go home to my mom crying. <laughs> so it was a lot of fun times and a lot of very, very strange times. Well, you also toured with the strangest of all. You toured with Keith Richards. Any Spinal Tap moments from touring with Keith? Well. I don't really want to talk about drugs and all that kind of stuff, but I just remember sort of being around him and noticing that he really has the spirit of someone my age who was 30, 20 years younger than him, or I guess I still am. <laughs> uh, but he really, he had a, a little skip in his step. He seemed to be having fun like he always did. And he would say things to me like, it never becomes less strange and it never becomes less fun. There'd be a party in Keith's room. And, and when Keith, they were called the expensive winos. <laughs> right. So there was always good wine around. 
And when he wanted people to leave his room, he'd just start breaking wine bottles. And it was kind of an unbearable noise. And people would just start going, okay, okay, we're leaving. It's very sweet. <laughs> he came and he sat right next to me and started talking to me. And we had been working with Steve Jordan prior to that. So I kind of knew the guys in the band. I just want to throw in here that Steve Jordan played drums with Keith. He also was in the house band of Saturday Night Live, of Dave Letterman, and recently played with the Rolling Stones after Charlie Watts died. Right. They were very, very nice to us. And I find that that kind of happens. Like when I run into very established artists, they're always really kind and really sweet. And then when you're hanging around like the Courtney's and the Billy's and the Bodine's and the people that are, they think they're having a contest with you. It's just a whole different kind of insecurity. So it always struck me as kind of odd. Oh, I run into somebody that's been in a band as long as I have, and they're weird with me, but I run into Johnny Cash, and he's like the nicest guy in the world, or whatever the situation may be. <laughs> but uh, right. interesting, to say the least. So my bandmate ended up touring with Brian Wilson for 10, 12 years. So he met everybody, the biggest of the biggest, right? And that was his observation was, Paul McCartney, Brian May, George Martin, the nicest guys in the world. The people that are established, they have nothing to prove. They can afford to be nice and considerate and supportive. And it's an interesting thing because you would think that some of these guys would have no time for you. But like Paul McCartney said, would talk to the cleaning crew for five minutes. He had five minutes for everybody. He was the nicest guy. Yeah. Actually, Dolly Parton's autobiography turned my head around about just being nice to people that come to the shows because I was very shy and reserved and... I didn't really understand it when somebody wanted my autograph or whatever. Then I read Dolly Parton's book and I said, oh, I get it. These people are paying for my lunch. I better be nice to them. It's a much better perspective as far as I'm concerned. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Did you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Dave, I want to ask you about two things. I had a couple of pieces of Soul Asylum memorabilia that I loved, one of which was a poster of your 
album, which I think is one of the greatest album covers of all time, Clam Dip and Other Delights, which had your late bass player, Carl, sitting in a pile of sour cream, I guess. Well, it was clam dip, theoretically. Well, truly, I didn't know there was such a thing as actual clam dip, but... Stinkiest photo shoot I've ever been to. Poor Carl. Well, that's what I was going to say. And of course, it was a spoof on Herb Alpert's Whipped Cream and Other Delights album cover. Mm -hmm. So the question is, how is it decided between you guys which sucker was going to have to sit in the clam dip? And number two, how long did it take to get that stink off the guy? Well, you know, as I've said, Carl was the agreeable one and sometimes that can <laughs> get you into a situation where it's like the life serial ad let's get carl to do it you know <laughs> he'll do it and he just went along with it it was such a foul smelling room they were going to the fish market and getting bags of heads and shit and placing them in this stuff of <laughs> Carl's just sitting there trying not to be miserable. We were trying to capture the whipped cream and other delights thing. And it turned out to be funnier that he looks slightly annoyed. My parents had that record and I was very young. Ah. So it was about as naked as I'd ever seen a woman before. So it had this kind of I don't know. Carl was the perfect candidate. One more thing about that poster, which ties back to our Spinal Tap theme, is when you guys were in Madison to play that show, Danny Murphy signed it, Built Uber in Cleveland. Built? Built Uber, you know, like almost like German, B-I-L-T, Uber, U-B-E-R, in Cleveland, which I think was some obscure reference to Spinal Tap in Hello Cleveland in some way. So Pro Probably, yes. The other thing I had was this massive Soul Asylum hang time poster. Super cool. And along one side, it had this sort of glossary of all these road terms that you guys had come up with. Do you remember that? I sure do. And to this day, when my family and I, and I have 15-year-old twin daughters, when we go through the drive through at Taco Bell, I say, I'm going to have a couple of dung bags. Ah, yes. Tell us what the definition of dung bags is. A dung bag is a burrito purchased at a truck stop. <laughs> you know, you throw it in the microwave and it's a dung bag. Yeah, we had a lot of time to come up with our own language. And we had a drink recipe book. And one of those things where, again, you wouldn't want to be an outsider because you wouldn't know what we were talking about. We just had different expressions for everything. I remember whackers were like porn videos. Ah, yes. Whackers. Do you remember any others? Not really. It'll come back to me slowly, but, <laughs> uh, you know. Well, thank you for enriching my life this many years later. Oh, Every time I pull out dung bags, I think of Soul Asylum. <laughs> it's the least I can do. Dave, in recent years, you've had a number of projects that are really interesting. There's a book of your lyrics published called Loud Fast Words. At the beautiful State Theater in Minneapolis, Soul Asylum is recreating your MTV Unplugged set. Tell us more. We're doing a 30-year anniversary of our MTV Unplugged gig, and that was the first time that people were playing live on MTV. That's kind of something that's pretty cool. Are you guys going to do it again? We're going to do a show at the State Theater 
Oh, nice. And uh, we're going to have strings and we're going to have some gospel singers. We've got Ivan Neville playing keyboards. Oh, awesome. Of the songs that have been written since the last time we did something like this. And it, it's really great to work with strings and stuff. It's really fun. We did somebody to shove for the first one. We had no idea that that would, that would work in an acoustic setting. And now we do it acoustically all the time. So there's a discovery that happens. That's, it's great. I love it. That's so great, Dave. Well, I have sung Somebody to Shove on karaoke. Nice. It got huge applause. So um, it works that way too. Way to go, man. You're hired. Thank you. <laughs> uh, where can our listeners find out more about you, what Soul Asylum's up to? Soulasylum.com. Are you on Instagram? Or are you doing anything socials? Facebook page and a this page and a that page. It's out there. I don't know. I took a very early, I'm not going to get involved in the tweets and the Twitters and the Facebooks and the this, that, and the other thing. I just watch people say stupid things when they're fucked up and get in trouble for it. And I don't need any more of that. <laughs> I have plenty of that already. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you so much for the conversation. Great to see your face again. Likewise, man. I appreciate your time, fellas. Yeah, nice to meet you, Dave. I'll see you out there. See you on the ice, as we like <laughs> to say. Gotta say, I know how Dave Perner feels. Sometimes I just want somebody to shove. Me? Uh, not really. Special thanks to Soul Asylum's manager, my friend Joel Mark, who is definitely not a vibe crusher. Thanks also to Melissa Dragic from Mad Inc. PR and Steve Larson, my high school buddy with whom I used to jam on guitars and who first put the TMEP show on Dave's radar. Too Much Effing Perspective is a Milwaukee Talkies original. Our editor is Gretchen Kilby. Our music composer is J.K. Harrison. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can join our mailing list on our website. That's tmepshow.com. And you can send us comments and suggestions at hello at tmepshow.com. We'd love to hear from you. Although it would be as great as having armadillos in our trousers, this podcast is not affiliated with This Is Final Tap, and no person or entity connected with the film has sponsored or endorsed its content. This podcast is not affiliated, sponsored, or licensed by Authorized Spinal Tap LLC or Century of Progress Productions. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Evergreen Podcast Network.